Chag Sameach, everyone, and good Yamtiv Shabbat Shalom. We all know very well the warning that is often printed in our car mirrors. Objects may be far closer than they appear. But I often think that we should be born with one saying also imprinted on us that people may not be as they seem. As a child, like most children, I sensed this was true, although I wasn't nearly yet wise enough to understand completely how it is. When my parents would be away, I would often sneak into my father's desk in his office or poke through his tools, looking for some clue to know more about him, as I was to find out I wasn't alone. The father of a friend died suddenly at the age of 82. This friend was an only child, himself divorced, and even his own children lived too far away to attend the funeral. Needless to say, it was a very lonely time for him. His father, he told me, was a serious and humorless man who had worked as a mechanical engineer all of his life. He hadn't given my friend much attention or affection during those years. He did respect his father, but the relationship was a formal one. It was also distant and tense. But now this man was dead, and this son was the sole heir to his estate. Now what the government calls an estate is usually money, stocks and bonds, insurance, real estate and jewelry, anything in the eyes of the government that can be taxed and assessed. But in a estate, there's always other stuff too. The knickknacks that collect over life. And these are kept sometimes even hidden in places that you wouldn't look in when a person is living. But in death, we open the door and we look inside. My friend as he was going through his father's articles, opened the top drawer in the cabinet of his father's bedroom. At the end of one drawer were all of his socks folded and sorted by color. He wasn't surprised. At the other end, there was a few small boxes and a tobacco can, an old army pin, tie tacks, collar stays, studs, firing coins, and three keys. In another box was his deceased wife's wedding ring in the original jeweler's box, along with the lock of her hair. And in the last box, wrapped in browning tissue paper, were tiny teeth neatly glued to a card with a date under each tooth in his father's handwriting. And all those years, he assumed that it was his mother who had collected and rewarded his new teeth. And at that moment, it hit him that it was the man who he thought was cold and distant who actually cherished him more than he ever knew. He slid down to the floor, he told me, and began to miss a man he never really knew. And later on, he would go on to explain over lunch, I never imagined, he said, a life where it was me and my father. We seemed to be so apart from each other. You know, of the 22 letters that form the Hebrew alphabet, which letter do you think appears most often in the Torah? That, of course, would be the letter Vav, which is found in almost every sentence. Hundreds upon hundreds of verses in the Torah begin with the letter Vav, and many end with it as well. But what does the letter Vav mean? Well, many of us who have learned early on in our Hebrew education 
that the letter Vav means and, which would usually be the right translation, but it is not the only interpretation, in fact, of the letter. To, there is an ancient legend, we are told, about the letter Vav early on in the book of Genesis, where it is connected to the story of the first murder in human history. For reasons and motives that are not completely clear to us, we learn that Cain kills his brother Abel. And even though elsewhere in the Torah, the punishment for murder is the death of the murderer, but we learn in this story that God does not execute Cain. In Messengers of God, Elie Wiesel writes, if it is because that this was the first murder that ever happened, that Cain perhaps had no idea that it was something wrong to do, that God has pity on him. Instead, the story goes to tell us that God decrees that, that there will be a marked place in the forehead of Cain so that wherever he goes, people will forever know who he is and what he did. And in a book written a hundred years ago titled Imre Dat, Rabbi Meir Shapiro, the rabbi of the great Jewish community of Lublin, Poland, a community that would be destroyed six years after his death, Rabbi Shapiro's why the mark was placed because the real thing that offended God was Cain's answer when God confronted him. God says to him in the story, where is Abel your brother? And Cain answers, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? We find in the story a Cain who is absent any sense, any notion of responsibility. And it was for this that God puts the mark of Cain on his forehead and sentences him to permanent exile, to wander the world over and never again to make a home. And Shapiro at this point makes a startling and brilliant connection. He reminds us that the letter Vav also means the number six in Hebrew, which is also the day that God created humanity. We all trace our beginnings to the, to the day of the Vav, the day of six, the day of the and. Every human being is connected with and involved with the lives of other people. We are all our keepers, and we ignore and forget this at our own peril. So Shapiro writes that the mark on Cain's forehead was the letter Vav, saying that you will be sentenced to wear the letter Vav on your forehead for the rest of your days, so that you and everyone who will see you will realize and know that you and we all are connected to one another, that you are your brother's keeper, and so is every human being. To each of us, there is an end of those who have come before us and those who will follow us. It is a silly and perhaps dangerous deception to think that we each live unto ourselves we know that there is no solitary life. There is no me without you. For each of our lives, we are profoundly dependent upon each other. The evidence for this is everywhere we go, but it is especially here today. Because life with others means so much. We don't let go even when the people we love cease to live. You know, roughly a year ago, but in truth, given everything that's happened, it seems much further and distant than a year. 
I had returned from a taxing and inspiring army march through the Negev Desert in Israel for charity. The other day, I remembered one night, and there we were in the desert, under the stars, rolled into the deep darkness of the desert that twins itself with a kind of silence that only emptiness can hold, that I felt tightly connected to the story of our beginning, which we celebrate today on Shavuot. While it is true that we are not a desert people, we are a people who came to life in the desert. Surely one could say that there are better places to come from, places that are more sustaining and comforting than the wilderness of the desert, and yet it is there where we come from. It is no coincidence, I believe then, that the better part of the Torah takes place in, the, in, in a place that is so inhospitable an environment, or that this is the location chosen by God to instruct the people of Israel into his laws. I think because the desert aligns so truthfully with the world that we live in, with a world that is a place of such great unhappiness. God doesn't deliver the Torah to his people in a state of ease because Judaism is meant to be lived and understood that life is filled with difficulties and harshness. And even when the Israelites enter the land of Israel, there they don't find a perfect or blissful environment either. And while the land of Israel is pivotal to Jewish history and destiny, we come to see that the land is not a panacea. When the Israelites arrive, pain and disappointment do not end. People do not cease from dying. There is no end to illness and pain. It is there even in the land of Israel that they discover a journey that is not at its end, but one that continues to struggle with and find further difficulty that living there does not bring an end to the difficulties of the human condition or make them disappear, as all the following biblical books make abundantly clear to us. Or perhaps better said, in the immortal words of nearly every Israeli cab driver you'll ever meet, Achaim Zelo Piknik, life is not a picnic. The Torah tells us that all human beings are children of the wilderness. And the story of our birth in the desert teaches them and us that we must be prepared for it. So seen in this light, and as the holiday of Shavuot would tell us, that the Torah is a series of lessons that guide us about how to have and find a better life. So here are the lessons. Lesson number one, that if you are in a wilderness, you need a map. In the Bible and in Judaism, that map is the Torah itself, which the Midrash Jewish tradition says that it is nothing less than the blueprint of creation, which is simply a poetic way of saying that if you ever need to find out how to move through the world, the Torah has mapped its coordinates. So study it, see in its wrinkles and in its aged ink, the fingerprints of millions of souls who have walked the same steps as you and I, both happy and sad ones. The second lesson, because a map of such a large area with such few distinguishing features cannot be read easily, you'll need a guide to get through the wilderness. And that guide is the one who created both the wilderness and the map itself. The guide that is God inspires us to ne never lose hope, even when the wilderness seems to have no end. 
And the third lesson is you need others. You cannot survive a wilderness by going through it alone. The enduring lesson of human life that is carried so poignantly by Yisker is how deeply our survival is linked to being with each other. If Yisker is the lesson to that idea, then the moment that we're living in is the great reinforcement to it. It is so difficult for me to stand here in Yisker and say these words and be alone without all of you here. It's a double loss. Not just the loss of the relatives and people I love who are no longer alive, but the loss of sharing that with all the others who have lost. It is the lesson of me and you, of you and I with the memories of those we love and deeply miss, of us and a day, and may it come soon, when we can once again touch our closeness. Chag Sameach.